Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. We've got a great program for you today. How do you save a sinking ship? When Dr. Jason K. Allen arrived on the campus of Midwestern Seminary, it was in rough shape. The faculty, the facilities, and the reputation of the school were all flailing. How did he lead this seminary to become the fastest growing and one of the largest seminaries in the world? In his new book, Turnaround, Dr. Allen shares the leadership principles and practices he learned through the turnaround of Midwestern Seminary. Principles and practices you'll be able to apply in whatever area God has called you to lead. And so we're honored to have today with us Dr. Jason Allen to talk about his new book and 10th anniversary of coming aboard and 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 leading the ship here at Midwestern Seminary. I want to talk to him a little bit about that and uh, just some of the story. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm great. I am delighted to be in the studio with you. It's rare for you to be on that side of the table, it's you were saying. It's absolutely disorienting. <laughs> I, I literally have never been on this side of the table. Yeah. So The mic wasn't uh, adjusted properly for a man of your stature? No, you not had to at kind all. Of not at all. No, it, it's set for someone like five foot seven, not six foot seven. There so. you go. <laughs> but, uh, but no, look, it's great to be in the studio to uh, visit with you today and uh, to talk about the book. I'll tell you, I'll give you a little, a little secret here. Yeah, yeah. So my big concern in the book, you know, for the past couple of years is it was conceptualized and uh, B&H talked to me about the project was like, how do I write a book telling the story that doesn't sound like here's what I've accomplished? Yeah, yeah, And sure. so, I, you know, in the book, I'm very intentional about the manuscript to, uh, to talk about God's glory, God's kind providence, and the, the truth of the matter, this has been such a team effort. And Jared, you've been a part of that team. You've been Yeah, well, name, I was name. looking for my name in the book. I didn't see it well, anywhere. Well, so I, it, your name is not in the book, but but there are references to you. So I, <laughs> okay, I appreciate I, that. I did not use names in the book, okay? No, that's, a, that's probably a wise uh, decision there. <laughs> well, it's funny, too, and— uh, Anyway, this is a brief digression, but uh, even like, you know, endorsements now for books, uh, yes. they usually don't print those anymore. And so they say, because, man, you know, you print these endorsements and then like a month later, something's wonky and, and you regret having that name. Yes. And so like Dayton Moore, who was until a couple weeks ago president of the Kansas City Royals, who's a fantastic Christian and, and been a very kind friend to me over the years. Well, we're not super close. Don't overstate it. But but has been very kind and, and had at least a distant friendship. Anyway, he provided a very nice endorsement, you know, president, baseball operations, Kansas City yeah, Royals. Yeah. And then like. The next day is when the Royals announced that, that Dayton was being released. And oh, so wow. I thought, man, that, again, case in point, why well, yeah. that should not be printed, like the day after the book was formally launched, you it's know, such the a, title was dated. Uh, it can be—it's a dicey proposition. I, you look, I think the classic now sort of iconic example of this is the back cover of Paul Tripp's Dangerous Calling, I think. You yeah. look at the endorsements, and like four out of five of those guys have, have had moral failings. You know, they've, you know, their ministries have collapsed, which is just— an example of the book itself, The Dangerous Crime. Right, but right. it's the reason why in, in my ministry book a couple of years ago, um, I only quoted two living authors in the whole book because I was tired of this happening to me. Right, you know, to, right. But to your point, it's a serious thing. Uh, you know, I've dedicated things to guys who have fallen. I've quoted guys. I'm like, ah, oh, man, I wish I hadn't quoted them now. So I only quoted dead guys in <laughs> in, in my ministry book. And then in my most recent book, I, I I think I only had two quotes total. I'm just I'm so like you know skeezed out on this right. idea. So I think it was a smart thing to just well kinda... and no and uh, look even institutionally you know because um, yeah. people sometimes ask what does it take to get like a building named after you or an endowed chair? Well, <laughs> yeah. it all takes a lot of money, but like you also need to be like 80 years old. That's yeah. right. <laughs> exactly. No, I want you, you old. Need en- a long track record. I want of you old <laughs> enough that like your your window of opportunity to do yeah. something reputationally that would make us regret this is pretty short. But uh, that's but, good. Where I was going with this is uh, that, that kind couple of paragraphs you read at the beginning. Uh, when I got the book in hand, 
I got the book jacket, and I had never seen that before. And honestly, yeah, yeah. Jared, I'm, I'm very uncomfortable with how that reads because <laughs> okay. it sounds like uh, it, it just sounds too self affirming. And uh, anyway, it, it kind of bugs me not you reading it, but the fact that that's a book jacket. And so I kind of wince when I got it. No, you but, should be uh, proud. You should be proud. And I want to ask you because I don't know. I mean, I think probably a lot of our audience is familiar with the story, but probably a lot are not. And I know, you know, you've been, um, you know, recounting this, but. As you approach uh, your 10th anniversary, or have we just passed it uh, or it's two, coming up? Like a week and a half away, two okay. weeks away. A week and a half away from the 10th anniversary of your coming here. Just kind of give us a lay of the land, if you could. Like, uh, what was it like when you got here? What were you surprised by? What were you walking in with clear eyes about yeah. that you knew? You know, because there were some things that you were kind of surprised by. Oh, when, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So for me, again, grew up in Southern Baptist world, but as a kid on the Gulf Coast, and I was just kind of like a nominal Southern Baptist kid, teenager, not, you know, engaged at all, yeah. you know, sleeping on the pews, so to speak. I'd heard of Southwestern Seminary because like everyone on church staff had went there. And I'm a kid in the 80s, early 90s. Heard of New Orleans Seminary because it's proximity. That was yeah. it. Um, I became a believer in college. I learned Southern Seminary. Oddly enough, the night I was baptized in college, Al Muller was the guest preacher at our church. Oh, wow. And so that was the first time I ever heard of Southern Seminary. And then, of course, you know, God calls me in ministry. My wife and I are in Louisville about 11 years serving and studying. And uh, Midwestern was, you know, on my radar then as a student and serving at Southern. But it was kind of distantly on my radar. Though it was only 500 miles away. It, it felt further. And it kind of existed, I think, on the periphery largely on the periphery of the Southern Baptist really uh, uh, imagination, the yeah. Southern Baptist awareness. And so, Man, we were just there serving, and um, God had blessed, had a great local church, a couple of great local church ministry opportunities, serving at Southern Seminary, doing them div PhD degrees, and um, just kind of one big happy family. And, and I think maybe someone would look at me distantly and, and kind of conclude or assume, like, there's just a lot of ambition there. And, and look, I am a motivated guy, but I'm not really ambitious from a career standpoint. I've mm. always just kind of been like, man, I'm just going to serve where I am, and, you know, God knows my name if he needs me, right? <laughs> right. And so, like, I'm 45 years old as we talk. I literally have never applied for a ministry position in my life. And uh, I know that that's kind of strange and perhaps even, like, old-fashioned, mystical, but I just have never been kind of comfortable doing that. And so, anyway, we're just there in Louisville serving. The chairman of the search committee calls me. His name is Bill Booyer, now with the Lord. And he just says, Dr. Allen, um, you've been recommended by a number of Southern Baptist leaders for this role. And his phrase to me was, we would like to seriously engage you, and I would like for you to seriously engage the process. And that was in May of, of 2012, and that played out from May to October. And again, I'd never been been on campus before. I'd only been in Kansas City like once as a kid passing through. Yeah. And so the interviews were were in remote cities. And so I did not see the campus till I was like here. So I was like oh, the wow. guy. Okay. And, right. uh, and again, my point of reference had been Southern Seminary, beautiful campus. Yeah. And so the first thing was, was obviously, you know, a campus in great need. I knew the financial challenges distantly through press reports, and I thought those were in the past. But when we got here in those early weeks, I realized, no, this is a part of the present. And mm-hmm. uh, unpacking books in my office, the interim CFO walks in and says, well, we don't know if we can meet payroll this week. And like, oh, my goodness, you know, no one told me that was a current current <laughs> mm-hmm. issue. And then, of course, with the, the the challenges of the previous years, a lot of staff turnover and turnover and some of the morale issues that goes with it. So. Uh, it was it was it was definitely a needy place, and you know I was 35, and so kind of naive and and eager, and and did not really connect all the dots of need in the moment. But then looking back and say, whoa, God spared us there, and God blessed us here, yeah. and you see those kind of points of kind providence in retrospect. Yeah. What was the first thing like when when you landed in, or maybe you knew coming in, but as you kind of you know got more of the lay of the land and more of the vision is becoming clear. What was the first thing you knew, like, we, we have to tackle this or we have to address this to kind of 
be able to even get to the next stage or next step? I, I think, honestly, um, it was just like survival at first. Mm-hmm. So I'm getting emails and phone calls and no embellishment. Like, I taught an adjunct class three years ago. I haven't been paid. When's the school going to pay me? Oh, wow. I mean, so there have just been multiple years of financial hardship. So it's kind of like, okay, we need to hire some people. Don't have any money to hire people. We need to fix a lot of things. Don't have any money to fix things. There's a lot we need to simultaneously do, but with no resources to do it. And so I remember um, someone said to me two words that, that appeared very prescient. One was Tom Elliff said to me, he said, Jason, you know, you're accustomed to being in a mature institution where things are healthy and, uh, you know, and having resources to do things. You're just going to be shocked by how you will have no money at Midwestern. Mm-hmm. And like that really, thought, ah, that, that sounds like, okay, but but yeah. until you experience it. The other was, uh, I remember Kevin Shrum, the chairman of the board, said to me, then he said, you know, you're used to being at Southern where, like, if you want something done by the communications office, like, you call and ask it to be done. But you're going to find at Midwestern, you're going to have to, like, first build a communications office. <laughs> and again, <laughs> wow, okay. those are little nuggets, you yeah, know, yeah, like, yeah. ah, you're here three months and go, boy, boy, was that accurate or what? Mm. So the first thing that you you thought to do um, in terms of your team yeah. was what? what? What did you realize that you needed? Well, so we had a vacancy with development, and, and this was kind of the, the, the proto-IR job that Charles Smith has. Right, okay. So the development VP, Anthony Allen, had went to serve at Hannibal LaGrange as president. And so um, Charles was the first hire made, and, and many of our listeners know Charles Smith here. He came with me just a matter of weeks after I came from Southern and began to develop a little bit of development operation. And uh, and then really that, that quickly that oversaw communications as well, and yeah. so began to try to tell our story. And we knew the story was going to be for the church from day one. So it wasn't like we spent 18 months, you know, reflecting on what we needed to be talking about. We were committed to that from day one, and we began to talk about that pretty quickly thereafter. And so the communications, because we had a couple of vacancies there, communications slash development, we did that. Again, I'm wanting to hire faculty. I want to build a team. But Jared, there's just no money. I mean, right, there is right. no money. And so you're trying to, with integrity, talk about what we hope to become and, and where we're going, but but understanding, look, kind of, kind of believe with me, those conversations. Will you believe with me? Dream with me. We're praying God will give us this. So a lot of our talk was aspirational. You know, whereas now at Preview Day, I get to talk about who we are, yeah, know, the faculty right. we have, what God's done the past 10 years. Then it was all aspirational and kind of take a step of faith with me. That's right. I mean, you, you're asking people to see what you see, which is as of yet invisible. Right. As the years go by, more and more visibility is occurring. It's easier to buy in. What were you looking for in the beginning for, for buy-in? Like what's the makeup of a team member I mean, we can talk specifics specifics for us, but the book is really positioned to tell the story and then apply it right, out right. so others can read it and, and think through their own leadership and, and casting vision. As you're looking for other team members, what do you need from them to buy into a vision that's as of yet not realized? Yeah, so so then, again, talking in the book, kind of try to coach up a little bit how to hire people, but, but 10 years ago, nine years ago, again, a very select few slots. So, yeah. man, like, like, this hire matters. Yeah, yeah, this is like right. the firm, you know, like what we are <laughs> right. going to be so intentional about who we hire. Yeah. And I'm looking for things, everything from like like a person who, who can wear different hats because these roles have to be, you have to wear different hats in them because we have so few roles, right. to people who I just have a good rapport with, people who who, who really are committed to serving the local church. Um, you know, I really wanted everyone to be churchy. Yeah. I wanted uh, people who are going to be just like, I, I would be happy to see them walk in my office. And again, this team was so small then, the campus was so small. I mean, we we're like rubbing shoulders like daily. And I remember, mm-hmm. you know, Charles is a mutual friend here. And, um, you know, I'm talking to him like several times a day in those early weeks and months and years. Yeah. And I remember we even had a conversation like whatever year two or three or something. And it's kind of like, hey, we don't like talk as much as we used to. And I said, 
And it was kind of like yeah. one of those, like, is everything okay interpersonally? And, and like, well, yeah, it's interpersonal. It's just like our staff now is like twice the it's size. It's maybe proof that things are working. That's right. Yeah. No, yeah. It's like our staff is now a lot bigger because we're deeper into this and we're not having to have these crisis conversations every 45 minutes. And so that, that's a sign of health that we're not, I'm not calling you seven times a day, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, just kind of how you grow through those different stages. Well, I mean, just the, uh, I mean, it struck me today. So w- when I came in 2015 full-time and it was in the communications department, there were four of us in that department. Right. Dave Wright, director of communications. And there was, I think, three or four of us underneath him. And it was like Swiss Army Knife guys. Right. I was kind of writer, editor. We had someone who did AV and graphic design. and So everyone's doing multiple things. And we're all working within six feet of each other, you know, sort of thing. I went in this morning. I, I walked over there because I needed some help with the board here on a couple of podcast things. And, and I didn't even know who to ask for. It would have been back in the day. I just would text one guy right, that I right. knew. Now I walk over and I say to the receptionist, you know, in the, in the area, are any of the AV guys here? Right. Because right, right, I know there's right. multiple guys and I don't know all their names. And, and it's just struck me like there's just the thing is bigger. It's, it's more well-oiled. There's more specialization. You know, Tim Keller talks about as in, an institution grows, uh, the leaders have to become more uh, specialist than generalist, or right. they become more specialist. And that's true at like every level. And it's just a sign of, of the growth and development. And, and no, I, it is. Yeah. And uh, you know, we're talking about Charles a lot here in communications because of your background. But I, re- I remember a conversation with him, you know, kind of first year-ish, maybe 18 months. Yeah. And it's like he's trying to convince me to go from like, two communications employees to three. Okay. <laughs> right, okay. Or maybe it was yeah. three to four. But yeah. I mean, it is like certainly less than five. It's like either two yeah. to three or three to four. And again, and his argument is something like, well, Institution X has like 25 people in their communications office. And I'm like, Charles, yeah. I don't care. Like, I can't pay the three I have right now. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so it's yeah. like, unless you got a little money printing machine, we're holding at three for a while, yeah. you know? And so then I remember it. So then the conversation develops over a period of weeks where, and we kind of take this step to go from like three to four or either two to yeah, three. Yeah. I remember him saying to him like, so Charles, are you promised, like, are you promised me if we create this position, like, you're never going to need another communications, but like, like ever again, <laughs> right, like, like yeah. this will solve it till Jesus comes back. And he's like, oh, that's what I'm telling you, Dr. Allen. <laughs> and looking back, of course, we, we have multiples of that now, yeah. but, but it does indicate how broke we were, how needy we were, um, and just having to kind of learn to crawl together before we could walk and then yeah. we could run. Well, I'm glad you did that to him because he used to come to me and say about things related to the website. You know, the Further Church website. You know, TGC has such and such. And I'm like, man, TGC has 20 editors. Right. You got me. You got me. <laughs> it's all contextual. When, when there's 19 more of me, then we can put out what TGC's putting out. No, that's good. Uh, okay. So let, let's talk about the book. So the principles around the book is essentially the story of Midwestern applicationalized, basically the principles of, of what it takes to essentially work a revitalization or, or a turnaround in an institution, a business, uh, those sorts of things. The 10 essential principles and practices that made it happen is part of the subtitle of the book. What did you learn? This is what I want to know. Because, I mean, obviously, someone can look through the table of contents, and, and I'll just do that real real briefly here, if I can find it. <laughs> Where's the table of contents? This is great radio right now, is uh, me looking. This book does not have a table of contents. No, it has to. There it is. There it is, there yeah. It is. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So you look through, and you've got know your context, hold your convictions, define your mission, pursue the vision, cultivate trustworthiness, cherish your team, insist on accountability, steward your money, communicate clearly, and foster the right culture. All important aspects of how to apply this turnaround concept to different contexts. I want to know, as you worked through writing this book, distilling the experience, the 10-year story, the backstory, the forward vision, all of that, 
Is there something that surprised you? Was there anything that, I almost want to say that you learned, but maybe you knew it and it just, it came to the forefront as you were writing. What's something that came up that was like, oh, I need to put that in there? Yeah, I would say a couple things. First of all, I was surprised by my joy in the project. Mm. Okay. And for me, there is a joy in telling the Midwestern Seminary story. Yeah. And it's a living story, past, present, and we, we trust future. And so there was a joy in that. I would say the next thing um, for me that became increasingly clear uh, as I was writing the book. So kind of the, the, the book first is an idea. Um, actually, Tom Rainer mentioned it to me. So he was still president of Lifeway then. I'm going to guess that was his last year. So I'm probably like maybe year seven here, maybe year six or something. And yeah. you know, So this kind of began as a concept whatever, three plus years ago. And it just really kind of worked out, honestly, you know, to, to, to coincide with my 10th uh, this fall. That was more, you know, supply chain and this and that and kind of some of the stuff that's elongated these projects the last couple of years. But I would say kind of the last couple of years, the, the two pieces have become increasingly clear to me would be cultivate trustworthiness and uh, and then the accountability piece as well. And so, and if you want me to elaborate yeah, just for a moment yeah, on both do. of those. Yeah, but, but the, before I get to that, I do want to say, you know, the book really is, I think, a rather simple approach to leadership. I mean, as I argue in the book, I think leadership's pretty simple, not mm-hmm. easy, but simple. I'm not a leadership guru. I, I take great pains to say that in the introduction, the early chapters. Um, so, like, the reader is not going to feel like, oh, my goodness, they're here now, like, 14 new mantras I have to learn. And, you know, <laughs> right, right, it's right. really not. So, yeah. what I'm trying to say in the book is, like, I think it's largely commonsensical, largely intuitive, yes, spiritual in nature. So I'm trying to bring you a lot of sanctified common sense and embed that within the Midwestern Supreme story. Yeah. And so for me, again, I mean, you know my story, Jared, our listeners, I suppose, at least somewhat know it, normal background, athlete, you know. And so a lot of how I lead is just kind of like what God did in me over 35 years into coming here. And that is not like I'm not Napoleon, I'm not Churchill, I'm not Reagan, you know, not these. I'm just not. I'm kind mm-hmm. of a— a normal guy who works hard, gifted in some ways, yes, but all of our listeners are gifted in some ways, and trying to apply that to a context here. So having said that, I would say the trustworthiness piece, that's so important to me with each passing mm-hmm. year. In the book, I take great pains distinguish between trust, worthiness, and loyalty. I think loyalty, that can sound heavy and, you know, you must be loyal to me. Right, you know? right, and, right. and I just, you know, I, I don't like that feel at all. I mean, again, no one wants to go into battle with a disloyal comrade, right? Yeah. But I think more appropriately is the concept of trustworthiness. That as we serve together, man, I, I know you, you know me, um, that trust is enhanced and deepened. And not just a moral trustworthiness, so that's a part, not just a professional trustworthiness, but but even like a practical trustworthiness, everything from, okay, like, like, Jared, I'm going to share this with you as a prayer request. And like, I don't have to worry about you ever blabbing about it. You know, that's one level of trustworthiness. Right, right. Another is just like, like, uh, hey, Jared, would you please carry this out? And like, I, I trust you enough that like, you're not going to forget about it. Like, like you'll see that through. And I talk in the book about how, how trustworthiness is enhanced or diminished. It's not a switch that gets flipped on or off, but it's a dial that gets turned. And so I'm grateful to have colleagues here. Um, I just have a tremendous amount of trust in and um, I, I talk about how, as the leader, we cultivate that, again, That's from our right. end, and then and then from their end as well. And I just, you know, every true, healthy relationship, there's a foundation of trust, whether it's my marriage, your marriage, kids, local church ministry. And so I, I really want to encourage the reader to, to pay attention to that. The other piece is accountability. And here I, I talk about different aspects of that, of moral accountability. Again, becoming increasingly important to me on that side because of all of the tragic news we see Christian leader failings and that sort of thing. And also an institutional accountability and operational accountability as we lead that 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 actually, okay, we're just not going to speak in, in, in kind of dreams and goals, but actually measure how are we doing by that? You know, how, what are we accomplishing? And 
you know, maybe if an area is underperforming, there are really good legitimate reasons for that. Or it could be maybe that we just haven't focused on that and we need to bring focus to it. So I've got, I think, better the past 10 years at, at, at kind of measuring those things on the institutional side. And then at the interpersonal side um, with people and on the moral side of just being intentional there as well. And so, like, for me, I, I tell people, if, if you can't answer in a sentence to whom you report, you're not in a good place. <laughs> so if, if you if a pastor can't say, I report to the elders, or, or, th- right. there's not a clear accountability structure. And so we want that. And here we we talk about that. And so if I sense an employee or a colleague is like chafing at appropriate accountability, not wonky stuff, but just appropriate accountability. Like to me, alarm bells go off my head. You know, that, that's not good. Mm. And so for me, um, I, I do work to have that in my life. And so, and uh, again, even the listeners, I'd say, I, I just don't have like these big swaths of unaccounted for time. I mean, my wife just knows like where I am. My office knows where I am right now. You know, heck, heck, heaven knows my, my kids generally even know where yeah. I am because th- there's that working knowledge of our life. And so it seems to me a lot of people get in trouble by having a lot of unaccounted for chunks mm-hmm. of time. And they manage to make a two-day trip a, a three-day trip. You know, well, no, just like get right. in and out. Like, you know, it's nothing healthy is going to happen by you unnecessarily extending a trip away from your wife an extra mm-hmm. day, you know. And so those sorts of things we talk about. Yeah, that's good. Um, just two testimonies, I, I suppose, to the experience that's been created here, knowing the culture, enjoying the culture, having the right kind of culture, which is one of the principles of the book as well. And I think a testimony to your leadership, because what leaders are, an organization eventually becomes. Um, I mean, I believe that. What pastors are, a church eventually becomes as well. Uh, so two things. I've been here. I'm going on my eighth year now. It's just a fun place to be. Like, there's not—in the early days, it was fun— because it felt like we're building something, and we're still building something, but it was sort of like it wasn't yet exhilarating. Realized, yeah, yeah it was more. It was more like, exhilarating than enjoyable. <laughs> well, it was like uh, the early days of a church plant, kind of. Yeah. You know, we're like we're in this together. There's a few of us, and while things have changed, that spirit hasn't changed. There's not like I don't dread going right, to right. work. There's not a the culture here is a happy culture, and I know you guys have talked about before that that's a value that you want a happy campus, you want a happy culture. It truly is that, and it's yeah. actually kind of stunning that 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 hasn't changed. It's kind of there embedded. The other thing is, this is more of a a, a personal thing. I'm never embarrassed by th- by things you write or post on oh, thank on you. social media. It's my gift to humanity. <laughs> well, there's there's never. I mean, but I know people are by what I've done, but there's never a moment where I like I have I have to wince about what the president is posting on social media or anything like that. And it's the it's the remarkable kind of unremarkability. It's it's just, it's faithful, it's edifying, it's helpful. There's nothing that you're like, oh, no, here, you know, what's that all about? And that's refreshing these days, I just have yeah. to say. Oh, uh, that's kind. Well, I do believe leadership, you know, it's not about the leader. And if, hmm. it beca- if Midwestern becomes about me, even if it were about me in kind of, quote, unquote, good ways, I think that still would be a flaw. But if hmm. it's about the leader in actually clearly disadvantageous ways, that's a major flaw. And uh, and we don't want that. I, I'll tell you though. Back to the happiness piece. It, it is a happy place. And um, I, I just I mean, even before the church conference last week, yeah. packed campus, packed chapel, and just a real sweetness to that. You know, I, I'll tell you. You know, back back to um, and I know we need to wrap this up here. But one thing's been on my mind lately. Back to the culture piece and the team piece is again. It, it's 
hiring people that are happy goes a long way. Yeah. And if you hire stinkers, you know, there's going to be a <laughs> right. smell in the building pretty quickly. Mm. But hiring people that are generally disposed towards happiness and joy. And, you know, even in recent months, been on my mind, people uh, who are natural worshipers, you know, mm. like they just, the, their natural rhythm of life is a, a joy in Christ and, and a, a worship of Christ mm. that, that then like, man, they want to be it for the church, not just because it's Hermes, because they're going to get to worship with a thousand people. So Yeah, that's great. Uh, the book is called Turnaround. The Remarkable Story of an Institutional Transformation and the Ten Essential Principles and Practices that Made It Happen. The author is Jason K. Allen, the president of Midwestern Seminary. It's available now from B&H Publishers. Actually, it's only been out a couple of weeks, already in the second printing. Is that right? Did I hear, read that right? That's what B&H told me yesterday. Yeah. So it may be they only printed like 30 copies. <laughs> no, <you know? laughs> that's not true. <laughs> An old publisher trick. No, that's, that's, right. that's remarkable. Congratulations on that. Congratulations on uh, 10 years coming up in a couple of weeks. Well, thank you. And thank you for your service here, Jared. You're a source of joy, and we're very proud of you. I was just yesterday, as we're wrapping up, was giving a tour of the chapel speaker, walking in the faculty hall, and he's, oh, Jared Wilson. I love him. He's a great social media follower. Oh, God. Gotcha. <laughs> follow, follow. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. I, I appreciate that. Dear listener, if you enjoy the podcast, please give us a good review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.